is up and welcome back to the Golfing Public Podcast. It is Open Championship Week, the 150th Open Championship, and what better place to have it than at St. Andrews, the old course, the old lady, the grand old lady as they call it. We've held 29 Opens here, and I think this week is going to be truly incredible. Um... In our last podcast, we were talking about the history of Brookline Country Club and, you know, that history, the Francis We Met story, 1913, that club was founded in the 1890s. When we enter over here in Scotland, we are talking about some serious history. Um, The old course is said to have been built in 1552, that's right, I said 1552, meaning it's about 470 years old. Um, as we all know, this is the birthplace of golf, and if you've ever gone over to Europe it, from America, our history looks like a tiny storybook tale compared to the depth of history in those lands. I mean, um, golf started being played in the 15th century um, in Scotland. As I'm diving into this research, you had uh, King James the second of Scotland ended up having to ban golf in 1457. Um, too many Scottish gentlemen were playing the game instead of practicing their archery. They were, um, you know, in constant battle with uh, England throughout the uh, the history there. So King James II said, "Absolutely not! You guys got to stop hitting these balls around the town and uh, go back to practicing for war." In 1502. You had James IV become a golfer himself, and in 1502, he lifted that band. He said, let the boys play golf. So, there's so much history to cover in the old course, the in Scotland in general, when we're looking at golf. Um, I was very interested in learning more about Tom Morris and young Tom Morris. That's I read a great book uh, called Tommy's Honor by Kevin Cook. If you ever get the chance, you should check it out. It's a really great story about these two gentlemen who really create the game of golf we know today. They didn't invent the game of golf. I didn't know anything about Tom Morris. If if I was at Jeopardy and they said, who was old Tom Morris? I said, is that the guy that created golf? Essentially, they created the the game of golf that we know today. So that was my goal here, to figure out who old Tom was, who young Tom Morris was. I thought maybe young Tom Morris, if you'd asked me five years ago, was just old Tom Morris when he was young. But um, old Tom Morris... Thomas Mitchell Morris, um, born in St. Andrews in 1821, and he ended up living to 1908, 86 years old, which is, at that time, very, very old. He, The average man in, in uh, St. Andrews at that time, I think, lived to be about 43 years old. So Tom Morris certainly got to see a lot in his long lifetime, and the name old Tom Morris certainly suits him for a person of that generation. Um, old Tom is synonymous with St. Andrews. He grew up in the town playing a version of golf called Silly Botkins. Um, he took wine bottle corks, put some nails and in the corks, and would hit around the streets with a homemade fashion club. Tom's story really begins at uh, age 14. He started to apprentice for Alan Robertson, generally regarded as the world's first professional golfer. 
He was the best golfer in the world from 1843 until 1859. And to be a professional golfer at that time meant a lot of things. You were a greenskeeper, you repaired clubs, you built golf balls, taught lessons, caddied for uh, gentlemen. Um, so there was a lot encompassed in the term professional golfer. So as I mentioned, one of the ways Alan Robertson made money as a professional golfer was to build and sell golf balls. And he sold a feathery ball, which was a hand-sewn leather ball packed with chicken or goose feathers. And they were very hard to make and very expensive. Somebody like Alan Robertson or Tom Morris, who weren't a gentleman or the elite class, really couldn't afford them. Um, Tom Morris would find them as a kid and stuff them away and, and save them for when he played golf. So Tom Morris was fortunate to apprentice under Alan Robertson, the greatest golfer of the generation. He learned quite a bit about making clubs, mending clubs, teaching golf course design, um, I mean, of course, making golf balls. And this apprenticeship lasted for 10 years until Alan Robertson caught Tom Morris using the new gutty ball. Um, the gutty ball was much easier to make. It was made from Malaysian sap, and it was more of a rubber-type material. You could melt it down, turn it into a perfect circle. Um, it didn't necessarily go as far as the leather feathery ball, but it was much more durable. And since Robertson was the only one in town making the feathery ball, um, he'd sworn never to use them. And Tom Morris one day was playing with a gentleman he had run out of golf balls. And to finish the last hole, the gentleman offered him a gutty ball, and Tom Morris did not want to be rude to his playing partner, the gentleman that he was playing with, and he was caught playing a gutty ball. So in 1848, I'm sorry, in 1851, Robertson fired old Tom. He caught him playing the ball, and he said, you're done. So at this point, Tom had a wife, a kid, and no job. But fortunately for him, Prestwick Golf Club reached out and said, hey, we want you to build us a course, and we want you to be the club professional. So Tom headed to uh, Prestwick designed a 12-hole course, started his own equipment store. He sold the gutty ball, oddly enough, uh, gave instructions, and ran tournaments for the gentlemen. But the big story is he was here is he was very influential in the first original Open Championship, which was in 1860. And he had the honor of striking the first shot in the Open Championship history, that year, only eight players entered the tournament. Um, they were all caddies, were called professional golfers because they caddied for gentlemen. And much like our story with Francis, we met um, amateur events were more regarded in society because those were played by gentlemen. However, these events by the caddies or professionals started to gain some attention because people wanted to see the best golf possible. Tom Morris struck the first shot in 1860 at the first Open Championship. He did not win the first Open Championship, but he would go on to win in 1861, 1862, 1864, and 1867. The Open Championship would be held at Presswick for the remaining years, starting in 1860 all the way into 1873. Tom Morris was pivotal in setting up the course, 
in those years at Presswick for each Open, getting the tournament ready. So to old Tom Morris, we thank for laying the groundworks of the Open Championship we have today. So after the 1860 Open Championship, um, Tom Morris stuck around as keeper of the greens at Presswick until 1864. There's many stories um, while he was there at Presswick, but I want to keep this kind of as an overview. He had his son, young Tom Morris, grew up on Presswick, hitting golf balls around there. But in 1864, St. Andrews called um, after Alan Robertson had passed away, and they wanted Tom to take his spot as keeper of the greens. The course had really kind of got gotten away from itself, and they need somebody to take charge of the links and be their course professional. Um, Tom took a lot of what he learned at Presswick, brought it back to St. Andrews. He widened the fairways, made the greens even bigger, built two new greens, um, one in 18, and ultimately made the course 18 holes. It was at one point 22 holes, and then that became the standard. At Presswick, there was 12 holes, um, but the St. Andrews standard became um, became what every other course after would follow. That's why we have 18 holes today. And Tom was huge for the old course. He stayed there for 39 years, retired in 1903, and the RNA paid him a full salary until his death, even into retirement. So that's a brief little overview of old Tom Morris, and then be, there was young Tom Morris's son, who was born in 1851. He grew up on Presswick, came back to St. Andrews, and he would go on to win four Open Championships as well, 1868, 1869, 1870, and 1872. He won his first major or first Open at the age of 17. He's still the youngest major champion in the history of the game of golf. He was the first young prodigy. He was huge for touring professionals. He essentially became the first golf touring professional. He was able to make so much money in individual matches. He toured throughout Scotland and into England to play money matches, and he was able to win enough money to create a career off of touring and winning golf matches. I think the most interesting story about young Tom Morris um, is when he won his first three Open Championships in a row. There was a rule set in place at the time that did not have a trophy. They had a belt. And if any golfer had won three championships in a row, they got to keep the belt forever. And, of course, that's what young Tom Morris did in 1870. And after that, the tournament just kind of stopped because they didn't have a belt to play with. So it wouldn't come back until 1872. The clubs that organized this event never really got around to it until 1872. It wasn't high on their priority list. There were more pressing matters to keep um, tournaments going for the elite class. Um, eventually, the golfing bodies that be, the surrounding clubs, agreed that they wanted professional golf back. They wanted the caddies to play so that people were able to see the best golf that time had to offer. They decided that the Open Championship should be spread among the golf courses in Scotland, which laid foundation to the format we have today for not only the Open Championship, but the U.S. Open, um, switching venues, bringing it to different parts of the country 
When young Tom Morris won his fourth Open Championship in 1872, there was no belt yet, no trophy yet, um, but he was promised that when a trophy was created for the Open Championship, his name would be put on it. So in 1873, you had your first Open Championship at St. Andrews. The claret jug was introduced. Um, claret jugs were a staple in um, gentlemen's clubs during that time. Often, gentlemen would bet with not only money, but they'd bring wine as well to bet with, because wine was very valuable. Um, so that's sort of where the claret jug came from. And that was introduced in 1873, and it was won by Tom Kidd. Tom Kidd's win was an extreme upset. The high favorite going into the tournament was obviously young Tom Morris, grew up playing St. Andrews. However, during the week of the tournament, a massive storm hit St. Andrews, um, flooded the course. It was barely playable. They deemed to let him play anyhow. Tom Kidd's advantage was he used um, a piece of metal to etch grooves into his clubs, the first used in the Open Championship that actually had grooves in it, which was a huge advantage during the rain. Tom Kidd didn't expect to win. He took the gold medal he was given, sold it immediately. He was engaged within an hour of his victory. The gold medal he sold went to his wedding. He would have sold the claret jug too. However, he had signed an agreement that the claret jug was not for sale. Um, he was able to hold on to the original for a year until the next year's tournament. And the original claret jug would go off with the winner until about 1928. They created a replica. So the replica goes with the winner now until today. The original claret jug is in a museum in St. Andrews at the RNA office. And if you look at the trophy, the first name on there is Young Tom Morris or Tom Morris Jr., so they were true to him in that fact that they did eventually, when they got around to the trophy, put his name on there first, and then right below it is Tom Kidd. So young Tom Morris, or Tommy as they called him, was easily the best golfer of his time. Unfortunately, his story ends somewhat tragically. In 1875, um, Tom, old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris were playing Willie Park and his brother Mungo Park, um, in North Berwick for a big-time money match. And young Tom Morris's wife, Margaret Drennan, um, was going into labor, and a telegram was delivered to those two in North Berwick while they were playing. They were eight hours away. They had a couple holes left. Um, Tom Morris, old Tom Morris, decided not to tell young Tom Morris put the telegram in his pocket and finished the last two holes. It wouldn't have made a difference. Um, unfortunately, both Margaret and the child died in labor. And when young Tom Morris got back to St. Andrews, he was obviously heartbroken. He never really got his game back. He started drinking a lot. Um, and unfortunately, four months after his wife passed, he died on Christmas Day at the age of 24 from a pulmonary hemorrhage, which was the same um, cause of death for his brother, Jimmy Morris. So it was something, obviously, that ran in the family. Old Tom Morris was obviously devastated when his son died. He went on for many years telling anybody that would listen, um, young Tom Morris, Tommy was the greatest golfer 
that had ever lived. He loved showing people Tommy's championship belt. And there was a memorial in St. Andrews, if you ever make it there, for young Tom Morris. It reads, in memory of Tommy, son of Thomas Morris, deeply regretted by numerous friends and all golfers, he thrice in succession won the champion's belt and held it without rivalry, and yet without envy, his many amiable qualities being no less acknowledged than his golfing achievements. This monument has been erected by contributors from 60 golfing societies. So old Tom Morris's touch on the game we know today is immense. Um, you could go, you could do a whole podcast on the golfing family tree that Tom Morris has touched. Um, in the British Isles alone, he was influential in designing Carnoustie, Prestwick, Muirfield, just to name a few. Um, he laid out all sorts of courses. He went to the Highlands, to Dornick, and met a young fellow named Donald Ross, a carpenter's apprentice who tagged along while he uh, surveyed the land. Five years later, Donald Ross would follow old Tom back to St. Andrews and help him lay out the new course. Now, Donald Ross would eventually come over to America and design about 500 courses, including Pinehurst No. 2, Seminole, Oak Hill, and many, many more. But his impact on the game did not stop there. You have the famous golf architects like Alistair McKenzie studied Tom's work, um, A.W. Tillinghast learned the game from old Tom Morris, and he would lay out courses like Bethpage and Wingfoot. So I have never personally been to St. Andrews myself. I hope to one day make it there, but I'm told there are many memorials to old Tom and young Tom. You can still feel both of their presence um, in the city. And this was really just meant to cover the broad topic, introduce these two characters. I encourage you to go get the book Tommy's Honor by Kevin Cook. It's an incredible story with a lot of great pieces from high-profile matches, how the game developed. We truly do owe the game we know today to these two gentlemen. Old Tom's course design, he was the best player in his generation. Then young Tom Morris came around and became the first ever touring pro, the first ever prodigy. Um, supposedly a player of his caliber so far ahead of his competitors hasn't been, hadn't been seen until a young Tiger Woods in the, the early 2000s, so many, many years later. But really cool story. It's cool to understand these people that now 150 years later we are going to have the 2022 Open Championship and the fact that they're still playing that same course today. And I've heard a lot of talk about can this course hold up to modern technology, modern golf professionals. So it'll be interesting to see this week. If the wind rolls, I bet you old Tom Morris can still get it. Get, has a few tricks up his sleeve at uh, the old course that'll they'll give these pros and modern technology um, a run for their money. So I hope you enjoyed this brief overview. Um, enjoy the Open Championship. Share a couple of these uh, old Tom Morris facts with your buddies as you watch and um, enjoy this historical event that has become quite possibly the biggest golfing event in the world. And don't forget to thank old Tom Morris and, of course, young Tom Morris.